Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that was so excited about the first period against the Colorado Avalanche. It's kind of turned off the game and went on about my holiday. So I guess first question, Mark, they're, they're doing pretty great, I, I assume, right? Yeah, that was some drunk we went on, huh? <laughs> Thank God 2 o'clock came around and they cut us off. I mean, geez, it's a it's been... It's been a while because of, of holidays and some, some non-hockey stuff, but I feel like if there ever was a moment for this particular podcast to, to make its return, it's it's on the heels of the weird week that, that the Dallas Stars have just had. Of course, joined by Mark. Hello, Mark. Nice to, nice hey. to speak with you this evening. I, I'm I'm feeling great. Let's uh, let's go over this homestand. <laughs> let's let it rip. So I yep. guess the 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 uh, we'll start with just a couple of of high high number. You know, overall like so you know, kind of a prove it stretch against some pretty good teams. One one and one, and then Calgary happened. All of a sudden, you know, Dallas wakes up post Thanksgiving, and they're third in the division, sixth in the conference, and a lot of the. Yeah, the play may not be, you know, it may not be Mozart on the ice, but they're getting results. You can't argue with that. All of a sudden, that narrative is is maybe looking a little more threadbare than it was at the start of the season. And, and Mark, I'm, I'm going to hand you, where where would you like to start unpacking what has happened over the last, I guess, week and a half? Well, I'm always one to start with the positive. And I think with the positive, you have to say that the Stars offense is living up to top billing here. You have four lines that are playing fairly well. I, I think you could argue that the fourth line is, is, is fine. And then the top three lines are, they're, they're, they're so balanced. Nobody can score uh, over, over 10 goals or over nine goals. Yeah. I mean, you've got the balance. It's, it's funny. We, we were talking about this in the pre, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the thing where I ask you, um, a hypothetical question because we've already gone over this, but right now, as we record, Dallas has 66 goals for, which puts them at 11, puts them 11th in the league right now, so almost a top 10 offense. And Dallas's leading goal scorer, for those of you at home, I'm going to give a, a slight pause. You can try to answer yourself. Dallas's leading goal scorer has 19 points. It's Joe Pavelski, tied for 42nd in the league with the illustrious likes of Evan Bouchard, Trevor Moore, Zach Hyman. Um, and our old friend, if, if he were still on the team, here's a good one. Which former Dallas star would be tied with Joe Pavelski for the team lead in points? Were he still with the Dallas Stars? Um, Riley Tub? No, no, Val Nichushkin. Yeah, yeah. Val Nichushkin would be leading the Dallas Stars in uh, in goals and assists if he was rumor, still alive. Rumor has it that he lifted the puck off the ice for several of those as well. You know, it's it's a thing. If he, if we always said if he was going to learn a trick, that'd be the one to learn. But he's so it's 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 a classic. Like it for the team, I I think it's very good news, right? They're they're a top top, you know, flirting with the top 10, they're a top 15 offense. 11th is fantastic. And if you look at, you know, most of the, uh, uh, there are a couple of teams ahead of them. Like Colorado has 76 goals, but a couple of the teams ahead of them are, you know, 67 goals, 69 goals. So it's, it's, they're, they're right in the mix for, um, you know, the, the kind of elite class of offenses in the league. They've even had, you know, the, thanks to the second unit, right. The power plays going again. So offensively they're getting it done 
And they're getting it done in a way that, you know, we've talked about Pete DeBoer hockey, right? They're getting it done in a way that Pete DeBoer would certainly approve of. And, and yes, you can dream about how it gets even better when and if, you know, Jason Robertson goes on a, his you know, a characteristic heater or somebody starts to separate from the pack. But even if that doesn't happen, how do you stop a top, you know, top 12 offense when the scoring is coming from, you know, seemingly literally everybody? Right. And the thing is, just when you think you have a hotline, somebody else gets hot. And just as at the point that you're thinking that you need to roll it or change things up a little bit, you know, for instance, I was, I was feeling a little down on Wyatt Johnston, Jamie Ben, and, and, and Evgeny Dodonov. And all of a sudden they throw a bunch of pucks into the net. Oh, so Wyatt Johnston. It's just looks, rolling all the way down. He is just the business. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, and, and I mean the, the the only thing I could say is is there's room for improvement there. I am yeah. fully on board the Logan Stankoven up to the NHL bandwagon, and the only the only thing I don't like about it is we're probably going to have to send Delandry or Steele down to the AHL to make it happen. But that needs to happen. Yeah, it's you know it's out of our league a little bit, but Logan Stankoven has is up to 21 points in 16 games. He's third in the AHL in scoring and he's tied with um, a, another prospect by the name of Maverick Bork. So there's, you know, we, we've talked about the guys of course on the roster, but Oh man, there's, there's some options there. If, if, and when offense does become an issue, there are some guys that you could plug in um, to great effect. Here's another, here's another question for you, Mark. There's we're down to, and I'm going to eliminate Joel Hanley because he's played four games and he's just handling it up. We're down to a single Dallas star that does not have a point this season. I guess not counting the goal. It's down to a single Dallas star. Can you tell me who that is? Uh, Jake Ottinger. Jake. Oh, it's, I limit eliminating the goalies. Oh, damn. Oh, sorry, KT. Um, let's see. It's a defender and it's going to be Yanni Hockenpah. It is Yanni Hockenpah. Well done. Well done. Yeah, and actually, um, no, I, I apologize. I was looking at the wrong season. I was about to say Ottinger has an assist. He's got four for his career, but um, he so far has none this season. He's chasing his career high in points. Ottinger had tw- uh, two points in 21-22. So we, he, he, maybe they got to get him going a little bit here. <laughs> well, and here, you know, we're talking about all these riches that the Stars have on offense, and for really the first time in quite some time, I don't think the offense is what we need to be concerned about. What we need to be concerned about is the defense. And what do you do to fix it, Wes? Yeah, well, and, and first, I, th- I think this is a really good example of, in, in my opinion, I think that one of the issues, and I think it was particularly evident against Calgary, is that I think Jake Ottinger is going through a little bit of a lackluster stretch, right? And and not not... I don't know if I would go. I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say bad, right? Because his standard is so very high. But I think what we're seeing is he has largely been playoff Ottinger for this season, and on the strength of being playoff Ottinger, he's you know this we we saw what happened, right? Dallas jumped out to a divisional lead was was a you know really strong team and accumulating points as all get out, and all of a sudden he's had had some wobbles and we're seeing some some weird numbers like the Colorado game like the the Calgary game and we're seeing some some breakdowns in this system and 
I I don't know is the answer. I think I'm I'm tempted at this stage, still early enough in the season, still accumulating points. I mean, we we're talking about oh no, they're third in the the division. Well, they're they're tied with Winnipeg in second, so there's that, and then they're two points behind Colorado with a game in hand. So really, we're you know we're we're just trying to to hype things up a little bit when we say they're third in the conference. If they win their game in hand, they're tied for you know tied for first with two other teams. And that's not terrible. They are four, five, four and one in the last 10. But I, I honestly think at this stage, you know, Harley's come back from injury looking pretty good. Lundquist has been scoring a little bit. Unless you're willing, you know, unless you're Jim Nell and you're willing to pull the trigger on a move and not, not a peripheral move. I think, you know, Castillo's um, dropping the, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, the Tanev. Sorry. Tanev, yep. Yeah, he's dropping. I, I think unless you're willing to do a big move and, you know, unless you're willing to do a big move, I think the probably the solution right now is maybe you give Ottinger another week or two and see if he fixes it. And by give him a week or two, either play him a lot and see if he can play his way out of it or give Wedgwood, who's been fine, a couple of extra starts and, and Ottinger some extra practice. But I think option one is let's see if the kid can fix this. What What do you think? Well, I have, I have a follow-up question. Is is this Ottinger or, or is this the defense? And, and I say that specifically because some of the big things that Ottinger did early on in the season was to handle odd man rushes. And we yeah. were giving up oodles of those. Yeah. And that's not really gone away. And maybe the issue now is that Ottinger is not making these incredible saves that are, you know, high danger chance save percentage in the you know, 930, 940 range. And yep. that's not something that's maintainable. And so now is Ottinger just not quite making all the saves that the defense is forcing him to make? Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And I, I will say I stick with my answer, and here's why. Again, to fix the defense – this isn't this isn't a situation where there's, you know, another player waiting in the wings or this isn't a situation where I think there's a tweak you could make that would correct this problem with the defense. If you're going to fix the Dallas Stars defense, you're you're making a trade. And if you're making that trade, it's for a guy that can play meaningful minutes in a meaningful role. So you're making a trade that involves assets. And so I think that before you do that, Right. This team, so much of this team is humming right now. I think before you do that, you need to see like if if Ottinger can get back to making some of those saves, he doesn't have to get all the way back to, you know, 939, 40. But if, if he starts making some of those saves, then, you know, you start uh, here's 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 a thing that, that stood out to me. Right. If you if you look at the expected goals over the last 10 games, right, Dallas has lost and, and expected goals is. It's not perfect as far as stats go, but it is a, a pretty good indicator of quality of play, right? You if, if if you look at the chances and you should probably score more than the other team on a given night, then you will probably win more of those games than you lose, right? So if you look at the last 10 games, Dallas has lost the XG battle exactly twice, right? Colorado, they only had 44% or 40%, and then Calgary, they had 47%. Right. So other than that, and you could you could probably throw Boston in. They they lost to Boston and it was it was fifty point eight, right? So round up and they're ahead, but effectively pushed Boston, lost it to the Avs and the Flames. But the rest of that list, right? Blue Jackets, you'd expect. They played the the Jets off the I sixty six percent, right? Beat the uh, the the Coyotes who are frisky. They they put clown shoes on the New York Rangers who have had a phenomenal season, right? And and so I think it's it's more that 
it's it's not me saying that I think Ottinger is more of a problem or that we should ignore what's going on with the defense. It's more me saying that this team has managed to be successful despite that to this point. And given the scope of what you'd have to do to fix the defense, I think you try and wait a little bit longer to make that move. And then just throwing one more one more reason on the pile, also looking at the way salary cap space works, right? And, and if you're making a move for a big guy, he probably has a big number. And the closer you get to the trade deadline, the less he costs, right? Because cap cap hit prorates. So the closer you get to the salary cap, a guy that's, you know, the 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 more expensive guys become more in your wheelhouse. And then as well, like the way the offense is playing, some of the guys that you might dangle in a trade might look more appealing if they spend another two or three weeks in this offense racking up points. So I think for me right now, my solution is let's see if Ottinger can start, you know, being playoff Ottinger a little bit more before anything more serious happens. But I would back up and and, and here I'm going to throw the counterpoint out there right now. The defense is, I believe, bottom six in scoring. But the defense is also jumping into play quite a bit. And I think the defense jumping into play is one of the things that's making them vulnerable to odd man rushes going back the other way. Yeah, And, and we've also seen that the forwards can get three guys top below the line as well. And that that's certainly been problematic unless you have some guys just busting their hump coming back with with speed. And that that's been a problem. So is this an issue with the personnel or is this an issue with the systems where we're over committing to the offense that we're getting? And because of that, we're giving things up on the back end and maybe we're just hanging out uh, or hanging Ottinger and whoever is stuck back with him out to dry. And maybe we shouldn't be quite so aggressive on the pinch. And maybe we need to be a little less aggressive with F4 as they're working their way through the offensive zone. Yeah, I mean, but counter to your counter, right? If if you scale back on that and you spend more time defending, does that put more pressure on what is potentially a suspect defensive group? Yeah, well, and that's that's why that's why the coaches make the big bucks, right? Yeah, because so I think here, you know yeah. the risk you run is we we've seen in the past that this is a team that can have once once they get gummed up in their defensive zone this is a team that has had some trouble breaking cycles retaining possession and getting the puck clear right they they have struggled in that area and i guess the thinking is the chances w- would you rather they and and i don't know the, i don't know how the math or the 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 math of this works out you know i'd have to do a lot more um a lot more analysis than i have time for frankly but it, it comes down to do they concede more quality chances on the counter rush or would they concede more quality chances by sitting back and inviting more pressure or do they do it selectively yeah because i i, I warned you i was going to come out with this but at a certain point you have to wonder whether a Dallas Stars team that knew how to drop into a little bit more of a turtle in the third period <laughs> would survive what happened against Colorado and what happened against Calgary better. And yeah, you can say, yeah, we're, we're spending too much time in, in our zone. But on the other hand, by not making adjustments and by leaving the team open to odd man rushes or, or, you know, catastrophic plays coming back into the, into the defensive zone, 
aren't uh, isn't Dallas setting themselves up to turn a lead into at least a tie, if not worse? I mean, I think that's the risk. The the flip side though is you got to bury teams in this league, right? And and we how many times how many times did we see in you know under under previous administrations, right? How many times did we see Dallas go into the turtle and never, you know, how how often do we see them not extend a one goal lead and wind up, you know, losing or losing a point or more? Yep. So I, I think maybe the point here is that there are trade-offs and the brand of hockey that the Dallas Stars are playing right now leaves the team more susceptible to catastrophic uh, explosions against them. And and they may get bigger wins out of it. And it's certainly more entertaining to watch that offensive hockey. But having the ability to drop into a shell and to shut down a lead in the third period is something that Dallas Stars fans have become used to. We've complained about it quite a bit. But sometimes it's functional. Yeah, and I guess the question there, right, is the the key of it is in both the Colorado and the Calgary game, which I think are rightfully the focus is here, Dallas had a one-goal lead heading into the third period. And what I guess it comes down to is, you know, in the Colorado game, do you think that the way the team was playing at the end of the second period, do you think that that team was going to be able to hold on to a one-goal lead no matter what they were doing? Yeah, potentially not. Yeah, and I and think so it, at it, that point, throw 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 throw, uh, throw caution to the wind and get your get your fifth or sixth goal. Well, it's it's, it's throw caution to the wind, or it's do what you're good at, right? And and I think KT has the stat in our our you know kind of prep sheet. They they're they've got what is it like seven guys pacing to have twenty plus goal seasons, which is is pretty significant. So it's it's almost a this is I'm, I'm way oversimplifying this mark so roll your eyes at me all you will but it's almost to the point where would you rather in those tight game situations would you rather the coaching staff be putting their faith in you know jason robertson joe pavelski and jake ottinger or would you rather them be putting their faith in Lindell, yanni hockenpah and ryan Suter? yeah and and there are probably some questions out there about how the defensive pairings have worked their way through because with we, we've gotten within the last couple of games back to Essa Lindell with Yanni Hockenpah, which which you presume to be your shutdown defending pair. And then the third pair has turned out to be Harley and Lundqvist. And if things are tight, they hardly ever see the, the ice yeah. just because there's absolutely no faith that they're going to be able to shut anything down. And so what you end up with is either the Lindell-Hockenpah pair where you, you have uh, – really a lack of ability to move the puck with, with any kind of ease out of the out of the defensive zone or you end up with Miro Haskinen and Ryan Suter which can be okay if they're established in the defensive zone but they're a little undersized and I think Haskinen ends up covering quite a bit and Maybe lately, I, I've, I've noticed some frustration in his face. You certainly saw it with him breaking his stick uh, on the neck following Ben doing the same thing against Calgary. But it, it's almost like he's not trusting what other people's reads are on defense. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know whether he, he's kind of caught in this situation where he's been burned a couple times now because he's overreacting, trying to cover for somebody, and then his guy ends up scoring. Or he's just frustrated because 
you know, he he covers his guy and then then something goes in the net. And so what do you do if you're, you know, this is this is the year, you know, the, a month and a half ago, we were talking about Haskin is going to make this push for the North. And he put a lot of effort into this summer in getting himself offensively ready for what he thinks he needs to do in order to capture the Norris. But what we're seeing is a fairly fundamental breakdown on defense where he's been on the ice and, and with Ryan Suter for the most part. Uh, on the ice for a lot of goals against, and he's he's rocking a negative that he usually doesn't see. And again, it's this this is the challenge that we saw coming into the season. And I'm not saying that because we're I mean we are brilliant, Mark, but I, I hardly think that we're alone in seeing this. This is where you get into unless you think that Joel Hanley has a gear that we've just never seen, and as well as you know Michelle has been playing in Cedar Park, like. This is a team that has no other in-house options they can pull besides messing with pairings, right? This is it. And here's a question. Do you think that that some of what we're seeing right now is, you know, Harley, of course, took a took a belter, missed a couple of games. Is some of what we're seeing maybe the coaching staff working him back in? Or do you feel like there is a confidence issue there right now? I think there's a confidence issue there right now, especially on the Lundqvist side. Uh, Harley certainly is doing what they want on the offensive end. He's the one defender who's who's jumping in and getting results. I think from my point of view, I would do something that's somewhat drastic that, that we haven't seen much of. I would give Haskinen his stay-at-home defender and and put him with Lindell. Mm. And 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 bite the bullet, bite the bullet on either Suter and Lundqvist or Suter and Hockenpah and move that move that to third pair of minutes. I think Lindell and Haskinen putting in anywhere between 20 and 25 minutes uh, each is probably the best that you're going to do. And it's going to open things up for Haskinen to trust that he's always going to have somebody back. And with Haskinen's speed, he can work his way back in, even if he's jumped into the play. I like that. I like that. It, it's, it's, you know, to your point, right? It's it's it it's an acknowledgement that you could put, you know, the the is what they are category probably extends to you know Lindell, Haskinen, you know Hockenpah, Suter, those guys are pretty defined. So I think you're right. That's it. It may be time to try and find ways to maximize Miro as a solution to the problem. You know, whereas this team has kind of traditionally used him to prop somebody else up. I think yeah, it may be time to to mess with ice time. Well, yeah, and and as you've seen, if if you've been following any of this stuff, people have been posting defensive time charts, and Suter is creeping up and up and up, and that's specifically because he's playing with Miro and almost exclusively with Miro, and there's such lack of trust down in the third pair, and that does not serve the team well, and it does not serve Miro well. Yeah, just in his last five, right? So Lundquist played 12-45 against Arizona, 13-13 against Colorado, 13-25 against New York, 12-52 against Vegas, 13-42 against Calgary. So those are, you know, <laughs> it's not... Yeah, that's, 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 you know, third pairing numbers. And to your point, right, you just can't get away with that when you're not getting... You can get away with that. Like I think of the old, um, the old Ducks teams that had Niedermeyer and Pronger on them, right? And and you can get away with that when you have a guy that can play half the game, and multiple guys, sorry, that can play half the game. But you just Dallas doesn't have the depth 
to carry a defender that plays, you know, that plays third line forward minutes. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think we saw early on in the season that Suter looked pretty good yep. playing third pair minutes because, you know, face it, he's he's getting up there and and it's hard to keep the the physicality going and, and, and to keep the legs moving. And if you, you know, Lindell, if nothing else, eats a lot of minutes. You, you, what, I think he's leading the league in in the amount or the percentage of uh, of penalty kill time that's available that he's actually on the ice for. Uh, some somewhere over eighty percent. So he's double shifting on a lot of penalty kills. And this is a guy who can eat minutes if you put if you put him in there for you know eighteen nineteen and he gets four or five or six you know PK minutes. That's a full load, and that's going to match up well with what Haskinen's doing. And Haskinen, you know, Lindell rarely jumps into the play, and if he's going to jump into the play, he's pretty uh, he's pretty careful about making sure somebody else is back covering. Yeah, I think at this point he's comfortable in, in what he is. He seems to, and not I don't. I'm not trying to minimize. I just mean he. One of the the trademarks of good players, right, is they understand their strengths and their weaknesses and do more of the strong stuff and less of the weak stuff. And um, I think Lindell, well, and almost I, almost more importantly, the coaching staff is comfortable with his strengths and his weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's a good point. I, I think you're you're on to you know, of course, then you have to factor in. Well, what does an NHL coaching staff do when they all tend to favor the the most NHL coaching staff move of all NHL coaching staff moves is to lean more heavily on a guy like Ryan Suter when things get dicey, right? Right. But I, on the other hand, I don't know that you're going to make a distinction between playing Ryan Suter as a defensive defender or, or Essa Lindell playing as a defensive defender. The coaching staff should at this point probably trust Lindell a little better at that role. And the reason Suter's getting the numbers is because they're so dependent on Haskinen. Yeah. And you kind of have to, it's, it's, it, you're right. I mean, it's, it's in the, it's to the point where when, when something important is happening, you have to play Miro and that's, that's fine. He's the team's yeah. best player. He's the team's best defenseman. Like he's there. That's not, I don't think that is an indication of any flaw or limited thinking on the coaching staff to say, if something important needs to happen offensively or defensively, Miro Haskinen needs to be on the ice. Like, yes, Two thumbs up, cosign, like maybe Jake Ottinger matters more to this team than Miro Haskinen. And, and that's about as far as I'm willing to go. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's then who's the next guy up? And then you get into that. It's all situational. It's it's Lindell, it's Suter, it's Hawkins, it's Lundquist, it's Harley. Like there's that's right now, that's a not, you know, they were they started strong and Ottinger was covering some blushes, and now we're we're seeing them regress to the mean. You know, it's kind of expected a little bit, and they're gonna have to figure this thing out. All the well, while, he's pulled up cap friendly just on a lark. And, you know, this is a team that is effectively capped out. They've got about half a million bucks in cap space. So, you know, we talked part of why I talked about Jake Ottinger being the answer is if you're going to fix this, you're going to have to go after a guy of, of significant financial value. And, you know, Dallas didn't, I think it was last year, they didn't have a first round pick, right? So you've coughed up, they don't have a second round pick. Um, in 2025 they don't have a third or a fourth next so this is a team that has given away some um given away some draft assets in the past and, and so you're you're really looking at like who who do you you know who do you send to make a let's let's see tanev cap friendly like who do you send to make a deal happen well i mean it, it has to be fox and probably akinpah if you're going to make it work yeah and and the problem there right so just just for the sake of argument right so so um 
uh, Chris Tanev has a four and a half million dollar cap hit. If a team picked him up today, they'd pay three point three, almost three point four million dollars. That's that's kind of what remains. And so we talked about you know Dallas having you know four hundred grand in cap space. So to make that deal work, you're going to have to find effectively right for what three million bucks worth of salary to send out. And unfortunately, like you said, Foxa would do that, right? 3.25 um, this year and next. Hockenpah is 1.5, so he'd be part of the equation. The challenge is we're not talking. up. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, the challenge as well is like who's going to pick up the phone to, hey, <laughs> Calgary, you know, Cal- it helps, I guess. It hurts the stars, helps the flames. They've been better lately. But if if you're calling around the league saying, hey, can I interest you in, in Radic Foxa and, and Yanni Hockenpah? Right. Like how how many of those calls are getting returned? So it's it's almost like, well, who do you who do you have to who do you have to actually trade to make somebody call, willing call Winnipeg, to take, right? Say again? Oh, Winnipeg, right? Yeah. I mean, but Winnipeg they don't have Tanev. <laughs> they don't have a Tanev and they're also in, you know, tied for first in the division or they're second place in the division right now. Would if you're just with Winnipeg's, you know, if you're Winnipeg's, you know, management, right? Can you take the optics? of trading a good player to help a team that you're currently tied with in the standings. Yeah. That was mostly a bones joke, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Um, But I, you know, so it just comes down to like, if you're the stars, you probably need to find, you know, you, you probably it's, it's probably two separate things to trade the player that you need as well as you, you need to trade the, the value that you need to get the guy you want and then additional value to cover the the dollars that you need to send away. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, I think a lot of this, you know, you take a look at the success that Jim Nill had at the trade deadline last year. I don't see anything happening until we get right up to the trade deadline. That's certainly the way the team's managing the cap. And it was so successful last year in, in what they were able to bring in, in what was even a tighter cap situation. Yep. So that is this this is a conversation that we maybe have in a couple months. And in the meantime, we have to fix what we have because there's there's nothing that's going to come in that's going to lift out what you consider to be players who aren't performing and bring in these dream players that fit the system that you want to play. Yeah. And I, I would go one step further, Mark. Not not only are you correct and you're correct, but I think that's also the right decision, right? Like yeah, I agree. Because this team is, you know, it is it is just as likely, like you know, we've talked about a bunch of guys that are are playing, you know, Jason Robertson, right? And I'm not going to bash Jason Robertson because this isn't about him playing poorly. He's still just about a point a game, but he's not his he's not his you know MVP vote garnering self, right? So it's just as likely that a couple of those big names get hot, you know, uh, Ottinger picks up an extra save or two, and you know, like, like you're talking about all of a sudden the team has bought itself another, you know, it's, it's, it, this, the calculus changes if they fall out of contention or if they start, if things start to look like they might. And as bad as Calgary was, and as bad as Colorado was, you also have to, you know, keep in mind during that stretch. Again, they, they beat the pants off the Rangers. They, they took, you know, they took Vegas to overtime the first period against Colorado. They beat Winnipeg. So this, this is a team that, that even though it has wobbled a little bit, they're still beating kids. And so I think, yeah, if, if they really start to slide, then it might amp up the urgency. But given how much season is left, 
given what the highs have looked like, given who is, you know, given some of the candidates for performance improvements, I think it just right now it makes sense to take a deep breath, say they probably won't pull a Colorado or a Calgary again and, and see how the next, you know, not next month, month and a half goes. Yeah, this is, this is a problem that the first thing that you do is say, we've given you the tools to work with as a team. This is a problem in the room. Fix it. Yeah. And, and let the players let the players decide that they don't want to lose. And if they don't want to lose, they maybe uh, need to tighten things down a little bit without losing their offense when they get into tight games in the third period. The players and, and frankly, the, the I think the coaching staff as well, because a lot of the solutions we talked about are there's a training wheels aspect right now. And while well, well, Ryan Suter plays with Miro Haskinen, because of course he does. And there's some coaching orthodoxy. And I think it's, yes, absolutely. One of the answers is, hey, players, fix this. You know, look to your left, look to your right. That's the pro- That's the solution to the problem. I think the other one is this is going to fall on, on DeBoer, right? You've got the toys you've got. And this is a group that... Well, and, that and, and we've seen... Yeah. We've seen DeBoer is not afraid to do that. That's what he yep. did with the forward lines by breaking up the hints line. And and now he's back to it. But that little shakeup was, was, I would argue, successful in that it got some of the other players going. Yeah, I think so. And so I think you're right. It's it's time. It is time to do the same thing with the defense. I, I do think it's time to hand Miro. It, it's time to be Miro-centric. And, and I would love to see some pairings that centered around. Let's maximize his value. And trust that you you know that the that accepting some limitations further down the pairing is okay, given you don't play them much anyways. Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. The first question that you ask yourself is what move can I make to to cause Miro to be his best self? Yep. And and the answer to that question dictates how the rest falls out. And so you think you think that that's Lindell? I, at this point, I'm not sure it's Lindell, but I see reasons to think that it could be Lindell. Yep. I think, I, you know, I, we've, we've, we've seen some usage of Harley and Miro. I'm still not sold on that line. I think that's a line you go to when you need one, not when you've, you're trying to sit on one. But, you know, we need to see a little bit more growth of Har- from Harley as a kind of full full sheet player. And I think as well, he could probably handle the second pairing in that situation. So I, I don't know about that, but I think you're right. I think it's it's Lindell has experience, frankly, being the the sidekick to a dynamic um, defensive partner. So I yeah, I think that's that's a very logical next step. Yeah, and it also breaks up Lindell Hockenpah, which is going to be that crutch line or crutch pair that uh, that is the death of this team. Because as as much as you may want to shut down pair, they shouldn't be the shutdown pair that's on the ice for the entire game. They they maybe are the guys you bring in in the last five or six minutes when you just need to move bodies because everybody's crashing. Yeah, and I think as well, like I I do think part of why they've been successful on the penalty kill is the breakout doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, they've they're certainly Lindell is certainly mobile enough to get to get to his spots and on PK coverage and Hawk and Paw, you can kind of give him an area. And I think that you can play that that group in that situation because their job is what they do offensively anyways, right? Which is get the puck and then throw it as hard as you can yeah. up the ice, which, which is not, which not is so Lind- great when you're trying to to run a five on five breakout, but hey, it's aces when you don't really have to worry about what happens next. Yeah, well, the thing Lindell is so good 
with his stick yes. on cross-site passes. He makes so many good reads. And I, I you know, he, he catches some abuse for the contract, but there are a lot of subtle things that Lindell does, especially on the penalty kill, that he doesn't get credit for. And, and the, the more I've learned about... The more I've the more I've learned about numbers and analytics and hockey, the less I'm frustrated by the like. I, I think you know. I think as well if if you take out the impact COVID had on the salary cap, I think that the the it's never going to be in the you know Tyler Sagan's first contract, the contract we inherited from Boston, right? It's never going to be in that category of steals. Oh my gosh, great deals! But it 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 is and was a perfectly defensible number for a perfectly defensible dude. Like it's, it's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that contract. Not, not every contract has to be a, holy crap, you got him to sign for what? Yeah. And, and to tell you the truth, the stars have enough of those already. I mean, look at, look at Hintz's contract in retrospect. Yeah. Right. And you know, they keep hitting home runs on entry level guys and you've got, you've got a guy like Wyatt Johnston um, contributing on his rookie deal. You've got Jake Ottinger on a bridge right now. You've got Jason Robertson on a bridge right now. If, and when they pull the trigger calling up Stankoven and, and, or um, Bork, right. You've, you've got guys that are going, you know, you always talk about, you can afford to pay your stars as long as you make up the difference elsewhere. And right now that's the Dallas stars. So let's get close to wrapping up here. I, yeah. I think what what's your take? You know, Ten games in, team's been slightly above average. They just ran the gauntlet of some pretty good teams on a homestand. How do you feel about the team here entering December? I feel great about the team in the regular season. I think that we have seen the blueprint that I, I I remain convinced that this team needs a big move closer to the deadline. I don't think that they need it in terms of saving the season, preserving playoff position. Like they don't need it right now, but I think what we're seeing is exactly what we saw last year, which is a team that's going to be good during the regular season, get through a round or two in the playoffs, but they're eventually going to run into as, as the, and and maybe not right without the teams get injured. Right. But this is a team that's going to enter the playoffs. And as the matchups get better, and as the matchups kind of shift and focus on elite teams that have, you know, multiple, you know, the best of seven, all of a sudden you can game plan to a specific team. I remain unconcerned for Dallas's ability to get to get through the 82 because you don't really have the same ability to focus on flaws and exploit. And I remain just as worried as ever about an elite team in the playoffs in a best of seven series being able to dial it up and attack a flawed defense and have success against the stars in the playoffs, right? It's, it's what happened against Vegas. It's, it's what happened. You know, it's, there were times in the, they were on the ropes at times in the Minnesota series. There were some moments of struggle against Seattle. It eventually cost them against Vegas. They're a great team, but they have a, an exploitable flaw, which I think limits their upsides when upside, when it comes to ability to win four playoff rounds. Yeah. Uh, and here, you know, since you brought up the playoffs, I, I'll, I'll get on my high horse a little bit here. I don't think people are giving enough credit to what the team did in the first two rounds, especially considering Minnesota beat Dallas up. Yeah. And, and not, not Dallas won the Dallas, series, right? Yeah. Dallas, Dallas won that series, but they, they, got abused and, and and that took a lot physically out of the team i believe 
And then you go and, and throw them up against this lightning quick Kraken team that is just on a pretty decent heater of their own and play an entirely different kind of game. And Dallas was able to adjust to those two different games and come out of those series with, with the wins. And they were in okay shape against Vegas uh, in, until really, and, and I hate to harp on one thing, until, until that Ben game. And, well, the, the and ben that game just kind of took it out of them. That and yeah. I think, you know, the Ben game, Suter costing them game two and yep. Jamie Ben costing them, what was it, game four, right? I yeah, think you take those out of it. Or was it game four? I, the, I've, uh, I have blacked it wasn't out. It? Yeah, it, 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 it's bad memories. I, I don't remember losing series nearly as much as I remember. But no, you, I, think, I think you're completely correct. But again, I think that's the sort of, that is the risk you run in a situation where you have a, you have a flaw, right? Yeah. Well, but the, I, I guess my point is that the seeding in the playoffs will show up. I believe Dallas will be part of that. And how that bracket looks and who Dallas has to play will go a long way to say how far this team has a chance to go. Because I think yeah. if you don't take if you don't take the physical toll of Minnesota and out of that team, I think they have a lot more going into the Vegas series. Yeah. And, and and you know, who knows? Vegas Vegas like any other hockey team has has fatal flaws. Yes. And especially in the Cadbury. So, yeah. And, and so how Vegas ends up getting paired up and here assuming that that Dallas isn't playing Vegas in the first round, uh this is something that you know Vegas has to get through it too. Well, and in Dallas this season, right? So I'm sticking on Dallas has Matt Deshane, which so far, right, two full thumbs up, and, and Mason Marchment is back to being an effective offensive player versus you know the guy that he was. And yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I'm not I'm not saying the sky is falling and they're doomed. I think you know if if they get if they get lucky health wise, um, if Jake Ottinger plays at a perfectly you know historically established level, that there's there's a world in which this team we saw it in the first couple months. This like this team is good enough to win it. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm not I have I am not I am not backing down off of that opinion. This team yeah. is absolutely good enough to win it. And it's not just because they have a flaw doesn't mean the team they're playing is going to be from a health coaching or talent perspective able to take advantage of it. Right. But this is a team that you I think if you look at them, if you're Vegas or if you're Colorado, like this is a team you look at and say, OK, I can see our path if we run into these guys. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're going to walk the the truth, right? There's a, there's there's a tiger on that path, you know? Yeah. Four, four months from now, we could very, very easily be talking about the LA Kings. Yeah. And, and that's an entirely different beast. And, and if we, if we focus too much on how we're going to get by Vegas and, and so much of, so much of what happens with Vegas has to do with what Aiden Hill's been able to do to the stars over the last nine months. Yeah, right. And you take I mean, him out of if you take him and his standing on his head, whether it's playoffs or regular season, and uh, and just have him go head to head with the with the skaters, that's that's a 50-50 match. But I my my dark horse is the Kings, and I I don't think anybody in Dallas has been paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on with with LA. But that's they they could very easily come out of the Pacific as the number one team. Yeah, they're a good team, and and especially like. The other X factor, I think, and we're getting really into weird scenarios, is 
if the Oilers are, you know, the Oilers are going to make it, we could wind up in a situation where there is a very dangerous eight seed. Right. Yeah. It re- reminds me of the Kings the, the first year they won it when they made a couple of deals, buoyed up the roster. And, you know, because if, if, L, you know, if the Kings are, sorry, if the Oilers are going to make it, like we all think they might, it's going to be because they, they go on an absolute blister. Right. So it could be a situation where somebody has a great season at the top of the conference and then they get, you know, just, you know, McDavid and Dracidal sneaking in as a, a scorching hot number eight seed. And that's that's not exactly a one eight matchup in the same way that it's been in years past. Yep. But all of this is to say you ask me where I stand. I'm I'm nowhere close. I, I've got the panic, but it exists. Right. I've got it on the old desk, but I've still got the little glass case on top of it. And I've still got the, the key lock. And, you know, I have to get my wife to come into the room. We both have to simultaneously turn our keys to get access to the panic button. Like it's it's safely stowed away. Right. Nothing that I'm worried about. And they're going to ask me in a month, but I'm, I'm not worried about Oh gosh, they're gonna they're gonna fall you know they're gonna fall out of contention. They're gonna you know they're gonna come apart. I'm not worried about any of that stuff because everybody's playing fine. Um, they're everybody's playing fine. Plenty of guys could play much better. And if if even one or two guys you know goes on a run that they've been on before, you know I'm looking at you know Jamie Ben, Rupe Hints. You know we talked about Robo earlier. Uh, you know. Ottinger, Wyatt Johnston right now looks like he's capable of putting the team on his back. Deshane, the Sagan line has been dynamite, I think. So there's a lot of stuff that could happen that makes games like, you know, like the Colorado and the Calgary games, you know, they also put the, like I said, they they beat the Rangers. They they put the wood to the Minnesota mild. So like there's there's a world in which everything is great, not just fine. So I'm, I'm not worried at all, but to your point, I, I do think that there are some things that this team needs to start aggressively looking at in terms of the defense just to make sure that they are um, well positioned for a, for a productive offseason or postseason, yeah. rather. Yeah, and the thing is, it may just be one of these temporary shakeups. You know, that's certainly what DeBoer did with the offense. And so maybe it's time to try that with the defense a little bit. But yeah, I mean, other, otherwise, otherwise, I mean, as, as Dallas Stars fans, you're feeling pretty good about this year. You know, if, if you have any kind of historic memory, uh, you, you know that this is a team that was always a conversation about whether they were going to be on which side of the bubble and making the playoffs or not making the playoffs. And that's not really the conversation that we're having right now. And it shouldn't be. I mean, I, I don't want to alarm you, but in 1999, um, on December 23rd, Dallas lost five to two against the call uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. Right? They they got five, they got they got lit up, man. They lost five to two again on on you know February 21st, 2000, and that that season that season turned out okay. Right? They they lost 23 times that year, and yeah. and everything turned. They lost to the Sharks. They you know they lost to some oof, tough tough. They lost to the Islanders in overtime. Just they tied the Canucks. Like there's some. There are some blemishes, my dude, on on what turned out to be a pretty pretty okay season. Well, and I'll I'll leave with one final thought. It's somebody we haven't talked about yet, who I think deserves a lot of praise. And Scott Wedgwood has yep. been awesome. And I'll just leave it at that. He, he's been he's been everything that this team has wanted from a backup goaltender. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, th- again, we we are looking at another year of of home runs from management. Wedgwood has been exactly what this team needed him to be. Duchesne has been exactly what his team needed to be. It seems like the Duchesne deal 
and a little bit of patience has put Marchman in a much better position. Um, bringing Dadenoff back looks like it was a good idea. You know, Wyatt Johnston, like it's right now, it's it's looking good. Okay, so let's go okay. celebrate some victories. It's, it's time for this team. You know, they they rebounded to they rebounded very well with the Colorado loss. It's time for them to rebound in a way that lasts more than a single result. So let's 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 see it, boys. Is as I think that the good concluding thought here. I agree. And sometimes it just helps to get out on the road. That's really yep. Well, then thank you. Uh, always, as always, Mark, for the insights, yep, uh, good. For, for talking me off the ledge, KT, for stitching it all together. Don't forget to download and like and, and do all, all of the things that, that make us know that you love us and we certainly love you.